0: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. I'm Leona Evans, and today we're going to bring you an archived episode of an interview that I did with Jack Canfield, author and creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. On this interview, Jack talks about one of my favorite books that he's written called Heart and at work. This is a collection of inspirational stories and proven strategies from some of America's top business leaders and psychologists on how to develop greater self-esteem and what motivates people to do their best. Now this interview is from 1997, but the insights and wisdom that Jack Canfield shares are timeless. And so relax and listen to a powerful and inspiring conversation with Jack Canfield. And now stay tuned for Positive Living. Hi, I'm Leona evans stefanko and I'd like to welcome you to this very special edition of Positive Living. Today, we have a wonderful special guest. His name is Jack Canfield. You know him as the co-author of the number one New York Times bestseller Chicken Soup for the Soul and its best-selling sequel, A Second Helping of Chicken Soup for the Soul. He is president of Self-Esteem Seminars in Santa Barbara and the Foundation for Self-Esteem in Culver City, California. He has conducted intensive personal and professional development seminars for more than 500,000 people in the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, and Asia. He is now the co-author of a book called Heart at Work, Stories and Strategies for Building Self-Esteem and Reawakening the Soul at Work. Well, here we are, you know, all ready to embrace this idea of the positive potential within us and and the idea of conveying loving kindness and being open to receiving love and kindness. And yet, how often do we think that these things can happen while we're at at work. Uh, how often do we think of what we do for a living as separate from our spirituality? How often do we wish we could feel some of that positive goodwill and feel really necessary uh, to the work that we do and feel that that it is a, um, a, a fullness of life that we can experience. Well, this book, Heart at Work, Stories and Strategies for Building Self-Esteem and Reawakening the Soul at Work, is a compilation of a number of individuals, some well-known, some not so well-known, that have shared ways in which we can find spirituality, life, and love in the workplace. Welcome, Jack Canfield, to Positive Living. Thank you, Leona. Well, it's just so delightful to have you back. You were with us uh, about a year ago, I think, and I'm just absolutely delighted that you've uh, chosen to come back on our show. My pleasure. I love this book. I think perhaps this Hard at work is my favorite that you've done so far. Thank you. And one of the reasons that it is so, again, is because we seem to separate our spirituality from what we do all day. And why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think that, you know, someone stated it very interestingly recently in one of the election campaigns, So I think Jesse Jackson was a candidate, and they said something to the effect, well, I don't mind uh, thinking that way on Sunday, but I don't want a man who's a minister running my country the rest of the week. Hmm. And it was like, I think most of us have grown up that, you know, we we are pious on the weekend, and uh, we forget that the week because... You know, people will often say, well, I I just can't run a business like that and survive. Everyone else is out to get you. So if you're honest and have integrity, you're going to get, you know, messed over. And I think the the problem is you can't be one thing one place and one thing the other other place without fractionating yourself and splitting yourself. And ultimately, it, it... causes all kinds of things like disease, and low self-esteem, and so forth.
0: Exactly. As a matter of fact, there is um, a, a piece here on page 19 called Integrity and Self-Esteem that was written by one of my personal heroes, someone who's been on the program, and also uh, who has been here at Unity and spoken, Nathaniel Brandon. Uh-huh. And he speaks about what happens to us when we think uh, it's okay that nobody else sees it, and we don't realize that what we see about what we do is probably the most important thing
1: it's true that you know no matter what you do if you lie if you break an agreement someone said recently all agreements are made with only one person and that's yourself and every time we break an agreement we might think someone else doesn't know but we know and and little by little we begin to distrust ourselves, and we we get into a hypocrisy that literally undermines our sense of self our sense of integrity And the word integrity means to be one with And when I'm not one with myself, then I'm separated off, and and often that leads to some severe emotional problems.
0: Yes, actually, you know, uh, didn't Karl Marx say many years ago that uh, with the advent of technology, um, we were separating the work that we did from the very soul that prepared the work, and that we would suffer as a result of it?
1: Well, I think that's true. He did say that. And I think what he was alluding to is that when people were craftspeople, you know, one person made a pair of shoes, that you put your heart and passion into it. And when we got to assembly lines, where all you did was reach out and tighten one bolt, people began to lose sense of anything that they were actually creating.
0: Yes. And so here, um, Nathaniel is pointing out that that he says here, one of the great self-deceptions is to tell oneself, only I will know, only I will know I'm a liar, only I will know I deal unethically with people who trust me. He says, but but when it comes to matters of self-esteem, I have more to fear for my own judgment than from anyone else's. That's correct. So the person that says, gee, I can't run a business with those spiritual values is really, is, is really lying to his or herself, uh, him think, or herself. Rather. I think
1: that's true. And what
0: we've been finding, what's
1: really exciting, is that a lot of people that came out of the 60s where there was an awakening of consciousness, oh, an awakening of uh, returning to spiritual values, and there were certainly excesses in all of that with you know drugs and Eastern religions going to the max, et cetera. But I think what people really began to see is that I don't want to cheat someone else. There was a wonderful quote by a guy named Ram Dass where uh, he was asked by his father, he says, why do you only charge, um, you know, $3 for your cassette tapes? You could be making $10 a piece on them. And he said, do you remember when Uncle Bernie did a law case for us? He said, yeah. He said, what do charges?" He said, just his expenses. Why? Because we were family. He says, Dad, this is the problem. The whole world's family to me. How can I rip them off?
0: Oh, beautiful. Oh, that is a beautiful story. And I think
1: what I was leading up to say, you know, from that is that so many of the people that are now in positions of power in corporations, I'm 52 and I grew up in the 60s. And what happens is now a lot of your CEOs are in their early 50s and a lot of people came from that period, those values that got lost kind of in the the late 80s and early 90s with all the mergers and all the you know downsizing are starting to reemerge and we're finding a renaissance of spirituality and of integrity and of um, self-esteem in the workplace.
0: Yes, and, and I believe, you know, as we uh, approach this, this new uh, 21st century, as we approach this whole new paradigm, we're becoming aware that we can't split ourselves off from ourselves, that we can't be terribly unhappy five days a week or six days a week, and then hope to regain that during one hour on a Sunday. Absolutely. Um, so this idea of spirituality it has become very, very important, and and uh, again to to go back to that Karl Marx thing it's not we and our work that are separate but we are the the um the heart and the soul of what we do and what we do really does matter doesn't it
1: yes it does you know I'm, as you're talking i'm remembering one of the people that we interviewed for our book was a guy named jack stack who runs a uh very you know down and dirty greasy oily grimy company called uh, springfield remanufacturing where they take things like international harvest or tractors and they rebuild them and uh he works with guys who are coming to work in harley davidson motorcycles and you know that kind of reality of, of you know real basic middle america workers and he did an enormous thing he said look He said, obviously, you know, this is our company. I have to run it right now. We're going to work to where we can all run it. But I want you to start taking responsibility that everything here is yours. And so the first thing he did, he said, I'm giving you everyone, uh, you know, a $100 budget for paint and for any kind of thing you want, and I want each of you to paint and decorate and bring your workstation up to the area that you'd like it to be. Well, people were painting the floors, they painted the machinery, they painted whatever, and some of them had, you know, like Harley-Davidson uh, insignias on their work machine, and someone else had daisies, you know, coming out of theirs. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they opened up the community, and everyone was, with pride was showing people where they worked. And all of a sudden, I may have only been putting one part into this engine But it it transcended that and became the work is me. This is my company. This is where I work. This is my creativity. And he literally transformed that company to now they have people coming from all over the world to see what he's doing because they have expanded not only
0: the quality of work but also the bottom line. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, On page 54, uh, Positive Self-Esteem at Work, The Eight Behavioral Keys. Uh, And uh, Enable and Empower is one of these eight behavioral keys written by Kathy Indermill, who's a principal consultant by design. Um, She says, Enable and Empower. To enable is to give people the knowledge and skills they need to be successful on the job. To empower is to support people in taking self-responsibility. So uh, empowered people feel good about themselves, she says, because they accept responsibility, accept their power, and demonstrate that they can impact their lives in important ways.
1: Oh, no, it's very true. I, you know, it, it starts, i give an example out of my son's life. I have a six-year-old boy, Christopher, and um, invariably he'll do something where he'll pretend that he can't handle it. You know, like well, I'll say, hang up your code, and he'll go, where? Like, you know, he doesn't know there's a closet. And uh, (laughs) he wants us to do things for him, like go down to my room and get this. Why? Because it's dark. Well, why is that a problem? Well, there's monsters down there. Well, what do we do when we go down with you? You turn on the lights. Can you turn on the lights? Absolutely. Okay, you go. I'll stand at the top of the stairs. If there's any problem, you yell. And so little by little, you're getting people to realize they do have control. And yet we'll hire people in a company, and we don't give them the power to really do their job. Uh, and so it's really critical that they say, well, you know, we need a place to put something. You say, great, you guys go figure out where that place is. If there's something you need to buy to make it work, you do that, rather than always saying, well, here, and me, the boss, doing the thinking.
0: Yeah, and I guess if uh, the more self-esteem we have, the more able we are to let go of some of those control issues and allow that empowerment to take place.
1: Yes, this is a very important concept, Leona, that we only try to control that which we're afraid of yes like we try to control toxic waste because we're afraid of toxic waste nobody tries to control oxygen or grass (laughs) you know whatever we're not afraid of grass and so what happens is that the more i am afraid of the world which literally means i'm afraid of myself because i project out into the world that which i'm afraid of if i'm afraid of my own anger i judge people who are angry. I'm afraid of my own divinity. I judge people as being too spiritual and woo-woo. And -hmm. so what happens, I start to try to control my whole company. I can never be successful because you're only successful as you give away control so that people can be empowered.
0: Very important words. We will hear more from Jack Canfield about positive self-esteem at work. We will hear more from this wonderful book called Heart at Work when we come back after these special messages. Please stay tuned. Hi, I'm Leona Evans. We are back with more positive living. Our very special guest, Jack Canfield, co-author of "Hard at Work, a new of the series of Chicken Soup for the Soul that has been among the New York Times bestsellers. Um, Jack was talking about how important self-esteem is in the workplace and how important it is that we get in touch with our own spirituality. This book called "Hard at Work, among the best that I have ever read, incidentally, is um, an anthology. It's a compilation of uh, individuals who are fairly well known, uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, Mother Teresa, um, Mary Kay Ash. Our Buchwald, Nathaniel Brandon, Gloria Steinem, and individuals that we don't know very well, but who have tremendous uh, gifts of information and wisdom to contribute. Uh, In this book, uh, you will be inspired to turn your workplace into a place where there is love, where there is appreciation, where there is self-respect and respect for others. And so, Jack, we were talking about this one article here on page 54 uh, entitled Positive Self-Esteem at Work The Eight Behavioral Keys. Mm -hmm. Um, We worked with uh, Enable and Empower, and as you discussed before we broke uh, for this um, last commercial message, we can only really let go and empower people when we ourselves feel secure about what we're doing. Right. Um, It's true
1: for both parents and for managers. If you don't have high self-esteem, you're going to be in fear. You're going to try to control. You're going to have a bad sense of humor. And the more your self-esteem goes up, I say to people, if you just went to a workshop and worked on your own self-esteem and never mentioned one thing about management, you would come back and you would run your division, your company, your office differently. I had a good example of a guy who took my weekend self-esteem course, and it was just a personal growth training. We weren't focusing on management. And he he worked at a paper company where he had gone through, I think, something like 18 secretaries in about 15 years. No one lasted more than a year.
0: Hmm, Kind of like Murphy Brown. Exactly.
1: (laughs) And so he took the course and and went back and went four years with the same secretary. And she said, you know, what did you do with him? Did you give him drugs? Did he have a spiritual renewal? I mean, you know, she didn't know what to do. But literally the guy had let go of his childhood pain and and stopped, you know, punishing the world really in a sense uh, unconsciously for what had happened to him. And people don't even realize the unconscious patterns they bring to work, which make themselves and everyone else pretty miserable.
0: No, yeah, we, we really don't, and and the only way we can really understand them is either if they're called to our attention, which really, you know, um, is very, uh, causes us to resist, you know, that criticism, right? or if we're totally open to observing patterns in our lives, we can really get a, get a, a grip ourselves on what's happening. Um, here on page 59, you have a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. It says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Right. Boy, we sure don't empower ourselves enough as a rule, do we?
1: Well, one of the things that I teach that's really important is this whole arena of self-talk. That if I say to you, uh, you know, you're the biggest jerk and idiot I ever met... I mean, you have a number of different responses you could have. One could be, my gosh, he's only been on my show 20 minutes. How would he figure it out so fast? Exactly. <laughs> and that's going to make you feel pretty bad. Or you could say, well, Jack wouldn't even bring that up if he didn't know I had enough self-esteem to deal with him." Besides, I'm one of the more incredible people on the planet. Look, he's on my radio show after all. And, and then you'd feel really good. Uh-huh. And you are a choice about how you respond to what people say to you. And yeah. most people go through life going, well, that person ruined my day. He made me mad. She upset me. And the truth is we upset ourselves by how we respond to people, not by what they do.
0: Very obviously, if I did not feel that you were right if you called me a jerk, then I wouldn't allow it to... And you know, to take over my life, right
1: exactly.
0: so yeah, that's a there's a, um, a book that I read a long time ago called the Imposter Syndrome. Mm-hmm. How many people who appear successful in the outer world are just harboring this fear that hopefully no one will find out the real truth. yeah, you know, and the fact is that there's low self-esteem behind all those outer successes. And I see that 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 this book hard at work, I, which I'm so impressed with, I just love it, is really dealing with um, this issue of how to make the inner and outer connect. Would you please read, do you, do you have a copy? out right there? Oh, good. Um, page 14, uh, Our Deepest Fear by Nelson Mandela. Uh, we have used this as a, a Sunday bulletin cover periodically, and it is such a tremendous, empowering piece of work. Um, if we could just realize that that it's true for all sure. of us sure. oh, go ahead let, let me
1: just give you a correction we had uh, we thought this was by Nelson Mandela because it was in his uh, inaugural speech that he had only to find out later
0: that he had uh, quoted Marianne Williamson but forgot to mention her name so oh we, is that because I was looking at, at the back of your book and I saw this Marianne Williamson but I didn't quite understand that it exactly, was related to this piece
1: that's how that came about but anyway oh. Marianne wrote it and then Nelson quoted it but it goes like this okay We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Oh, that is so
0: powerful
1: it It really is. It's so true, too,
0: yeah. I you know there there are a couple of things here that that really, really strike a chord. You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. How often? Have I tried to do that or have I heard from people in counseling that they try to do that minimize an achievement or or minimize a talent so that other people won't feel bad and yet the very last line says as we are liberated from our own fear our presence automatically liberates others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there is something about our recognizing our own potential that is automatically a gift to others. Can you can you speak on that for a moment?
1: Well, I think every one of us has had the experience about about of being around somebody that's really charismatic or very loving. I'll give you an example in my own life. I was with a rabbi named Shlomo Karlbach once. Oh, I, was at a I conference. know him.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse that's okay. me. I'm yes. glad you
1: know him. He's a great guy.
0: Yeah, an old friend. Yeah. And uh, he... Um, was I was waiting in a line of
1: about 50 people to talk to him, you know, and eventually some of the people left, and he was talking to two or three of you and I was kind of on the outer fringe, and I was next, and I was being very polite, standing on the edge, and he just reached out, never looked at me, kept looking at his friends, but reached out, put his arm around my shoulder, just pulled me into the group, and I, it was like I was made six years old, it was my dad or something that was doing that to me, and it was just like so wonderful to be included, And I realized by him doing that, it gave me permission to do that with everyone else. Because I realized if I wanted so much to be brought in, he did. You know, everyone else wanted that same thing as well. And every time that someone acts more loving, I mean, why does Mother Teresa totally uh, inspire us? Because we see her and we see what she does, and it gives us permission to do the same. We don't feel less than, I think. Mostly we feel, hey, there's some Mother Teresa in me. I could be bigger as well. And I think that's the effect of letting our light shine is it says to other people, hey, come on out. You can shine your light, too.
0: Yes, I I know that's true. And yet, why are there times that people will say, (coughs) excuse me, oh, so-and-so is so terrific or so-and-so is so wonderful. I could never do that. Why is it that sometimes it works the opposite way?
1: Uh, I think, again, just, you know, years of of mental programming on the part of that person that's basically, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not, it's a comparison kind of thing. I tell people in my seminars, I said, you know, we're going to be spending three days together. My first piece of advice is don't compare yourself to anyone in here. And then I say, how many think that'll be easy? And, of course, nobody raised their hand. I say, how many of you have ever compared yourself to someone? And every hand goes up. Mm -hmm. I say, how many times did you come out greater than or less than? And it's almost always less than. We never pick someone to compare ourselves to that we're better than. We always think if it's in physical fitness, I'm going to compare myself to Arnold Schwarzenegger or Tom Cruise, you know. Or Mm -hmm. if it's uh, someone that's intelligent, I'm going to compare myself to someone I just saw on a game show who won $64,000. And there's this natural tendency to do that. I I think it comes from our parents always going, why can't you be more like your sister? Look, Johnny's lights on across the way. He's still doing his homework. Why aren't you doing yours? Mm -hmm. And so invariably it gets ground into us. Um, And that's the only way you can get out of that is just to become aware of it and just literally stop it and replace it with something positive
0: yeah I uh, you know although dr. Spock is no longer the uh, the person who writes the children's books now I've just been blessed to adopt a brand new baby and you get into that comparative thing when you read uh, you know the current uh, best-selling author of children's books who who say when your child is four months old he should be doing this when he's five months he should be doing this and so you have a tendency to look around saying is your child doing this mm-hmm. you know is your child doing that so yeah we've got <clears> to <throat> watch out for that comparing okay we are going to break for our network news please stay with us jack canfield hard at work this is positive living please come back with us Thanks so much for listening to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. This was episode one of two with my mom's interview with Jack Canfield. We'll have the second one airing next week, so stay tuned for that. It's so cool getting to go back and listen to these old cassettes and and kind of resurrect these interviews that are so valuable and have so much great information. Please connect with us on our social media, on Facebook, and on our website at getoffyouraffirmation.com. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful week. You deserve it.